0: Um, This is Luke 2, 6 to 15. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly... You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about.
1: Thank you so much, Sue. Well, we talked about hope the first week. Second week, we talked about uh, peace. That was last week. And this week, we we're going to talk about joy. And uh, I know that this season is a mixed bag for a lot of us here, right? If we're being uh, real, we're, we're kind of experiencing a lot of different emotions, depending upon the day. Uh, some days we're feeling really good. Uh, some of us are lucky in that we don't experience a whole lot of emotional up and downs. Uh, some others, we've been blessed with lots of emotions and we feel them. Um, but regardless, we, uh, we struggle with difficulties sometimes. And then we have these moments that are really incredible. And uh, And we could experience on any given day um, uh, or in any given season, either something really profoundly painful uh, that threatens to rob us of our sort of peace and our joy. So that's real. Um, so what I want to talk about this morning is joy, but in perhaps a way that's different than, um, than what you may have heard. And um, hopefully it's, it's fresh and hopefully it's helpful. That's the most important thing. Um, so uh, defining joy is probably a good place to start. What is joy? What, maybe, maybe throw out some, don't feel the pressure to like, some, some of you are going to be like, oh my gosh, definition, that'll definitely freeze me up and I won't have an answer for that. Uh, but what are some maybe synonyms or feelings around joy or just um, how you would experience joy? What does it feel like to you? What does it mean to you? And maybe start off with something like that. Okay, contentment. Okay. Being thankful gives you joy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciative. Yeah. yeah. Good. What else? Uh, joy is strength. Joy produces strength. Yes. Yes. Very good. What else? Friendship. Friendship. Pleasure. Pleasure. Peace. Peace. Yeah. That to me is it's interesting how even, even though peace has its own sort of definition, they seem to kind of work together, don't yeah, they? Exactly. Yeah. One seems to Build up on the other. If you've, if you're feeling full of love, you might also feel a little bit more peaceful, right? You might also feel a little bit. Yeah, it's it seems like the fruit tend to live together. The fruit that that's the way the Bible speaks of these characteristics as fruit. So, what else? (laughs) Warm fuzzy feeling. I love that a warm fuzzy feeling. Thank you for bringing feeling into this, Joe. It's contagious. Oh, yeah. Very much so. That's a really good point. like positive energy. Yeah. And then
0: you change some of the emotions that feel your emotion.
1: Yeah. Positive energy. You change other people's emotions through it. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And where you're at, you can be spreading
0: you know joy and happiness or misery.
1: You can either be spreading joy, happiness, or misery. Very good. Yeah. Sue? Exaltation. Yeah. That's extreme, joy. extreme joy. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Memories. Exciting. What's that question? Yeah. So, um, okay. So there's a lot of different words around that, um, around joy. Joy is, is sort of like a, maybe a simple way of saying it is it's a, it's a positive disposition, a positive disposition towards yourself, towards the world around you. Um, And, um, and so that's a, maybe a good place to start the verse that I'd read last week at the closing of our gathering, uh, was from Romans chapter 14. And, um, it was this, uh, interesting verse, which says, um, let me see if I have it as the next slide. Okay. Let me, before I even jump into that, there's a reason why I had this slide as next. Joy, uh, This is a good picture of what it feels like uh, for you to experience joy, right? Joy is sometimes what people experience when they accomplish something great, right? I did it. There's a good feeling about I did it. I made it. There's even a good feeling about I did it without anybody's help or without anybody, um, you know, kind of dragging me along. This was something I accomplished on my own. There's a good feeling about that right? I did it. Um, Then there's also this other type of joy, which is we did it. Okay. You're with me so far. There are different kinds of experience where there's the personal sort of like I conquered, I did it, and you feel good about yourself. But then there's the kind of joy that comes from we did it as a team. We did it as a family. We did it as a group. I would suggest that the we did it The I did it is important. You can't just never have that. You have to have that. But I would suggest that the we did it is a little bit more of a higher level of joy and a more sustained joy. Now, now let me just argue that for a moment that I have had experiences that were I did it where I felt a lot of that sort of like, woohoo, positive disposition. But I also, if I tune in, it's a little bit mixed with ego, or it's a bit mixed with some other motivations. But when the we is in there, there's a little bit less of me. And there's a bit more of the collaborative, the group. And when it's with the group and where, you know, where I pushed hard for to, to, to be part of that and to make that happen. But everybody else did that joy seems to be a bit deeper. I don't know. It's a different quality of joy. Um, And so, um, and I think that that's something I want to explore a little bit this morning. Okay, so Romans 14, 17, this is the verse I read last week at the end of our service. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Now, this should not make much sense to you. Isn't that good news? (laughs) This should not make much sense to you because there's no context to it. The context of Romans 14, because the early church was struggling with something significant, the early church was struggling with, there was a change in the way it seemed like God was doing church. So church had shifted (laughs) and they were uncomfortable with the way things were going. What had happened was initially church was pretty much a Jewish faith with the element of Jesus had come, and now they were Jesus followers, but also very much observing Jewish rules and and, and ceremonies and all of that. And And what happens is suddenly there's a group of of non-Jews that are starting to come, and they're not observing the Jewish rules. And the Jewish Christians, followers of Jesus, are saying, we have a problem with this. Because these are the rules and we've always followed these rules. And now we've got these folks coming in who are not following those same rules. The issue was about eating meat. So the Apostle Paul, who is Jewish and is a follower of Jesus, but has a sense of personal calling to reach the people who are not the insiders but people who are a little bit on the outside, so, so Gentiles, non-Jews. He says, hey, look, there's an issue that threatens to divide the church. And here's what I would suggest to you is how to move forward. Okay, so let's set that aside for a moment and bring it to today where we have Similar issues that threaten to divide us all the time. Right? So we've got politics. Don't worry, I'm not going to go down that, that path. So you can take a deep breath and relax. Uh, but but politics threaten to divide the church. It, it not threaten to divide it. It's already done that. It already has divided the church. Okay. So. We've got that happening. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, it, we mean this, that there are so many different denominations and there are so many different churches that, are, that have split along the lines, and this is in the data and the research, that have split along the lines of politics. So you have your liberal-leaning churches and you have your conservative-leaning churches. Very little of a blend. Uh, so that's one of the issues, right? There are issues of other beliefs and doctrines that threaten to divide the church. It's an amazing thing to me that um, no matter how much we, you know, we we grow and, and we transform, we have spiritual experiences, that there's still this part of ourselves that we feel like we have to be right and we have to be part of a group that we feel is right and that agrees with us, right? None of us escape that. We all have that within us at some level. Um, and so Paul says, here's how I'm going to talk to you to teach you guys about how to handle this, this issue that threatens to divide you and before it divides you. And what he says is, there are some of you <clears throat> who cannot eat meat. Your conscience won't let you. It's not only the rules, but you, you have this disgust factor. Remember, one of the emotions is disgust. It's the one that we seldom Talk about sadness, happiness, anger, but disgust. Yeah, it's a real emotion. And they were just like, ugh, meat. Particularly meat that's been offered to idols or meat that's been, come on, we're Jewish. We don't do that. And, uh, and the Gentiles are like, what's man, we've been eating meat since we were kids. Like, what's the big deal? they're following Christ too, or're following Jesus. And so Paul says, "There are some of you, and you're the, and he calls them the weaker Christians," which is a real like slam, I would think. The ones that need to have all the rules are the weaker Christians. Think about that for a moment. Has that ever occurred to you? We think of people with a lot of rules, rigidity. As the strong Christians, at least that's the way they, we, you know, I used to present myself that way as one of those. You know, we're part of a, of a, of a church that was like, yeah, we've got, you think you've got rules? <laughs> we'll outdo you. And that was a sort of pride that we had. And we were the strong Christians because we could do it. You people, you can't keep the rules. Huh, you're weak. And Paul flips that and he goes, no, actually, the the ones that need a lot of rules are the ones that are weaker. The ones that don't need a whole lot of rules, they're not rule breakers necessarily, but they don't need them, are the ones that are strong. Now, this isn't to slam. This is actually to point out there are areas, and if you're being truthful, you know there are areas, for example, food. Some of us cannot have sweets in the house or we have zero capacity to say no to them. Are you with me when it comes to the holidays? How many of you are like clean out the fridge as soon as the holidays are over? Because if anything remains, I'm going to eat it. Right. There's uh, it's it's funny. Some of you are just like, please take this, please take this. And you're you're just like handing it off because you know what's going to happen. Right. So you need rules around that. Right. That's an area of weakness. This is how Paul is addressing this. There are areas of weakness. For example, some of you are prone to addictions, certain addictions, right? And so if you are, you might have to have more rules than, say, someone who doesn't. All right? I have certain proneness to addictions, but others I don't. So for example, I, I don't have a proneness to alcohol addiction, So I can drink alcohol or I can leave alcohol. It has zero impact on me. I don't care. I go through two, three weeks, five weeks, a month without any alcohol, whatever. And then, but then when I look at it, if it's offered, yeah, sure, I'll have a glass. Sounds good. Right? Zero impact. But then there's another area of my life. When it comes to things like food, now you might look at me like, well, how in the world are you thin then? (laughs) I just happen to have a fast metabolism. I'm lucky. But that's it. But when it came, when it comes to certain things like food and video games, man, ask my son. <laughs> He's like, Daddy, did I get you hooked to Fortnite? <clears throat> yes, you did. It's your fault. And he loves it. He laughs about that. It's, it's, it's you know, but it's, it's, it's an area that I have to monitor. I have to have more rules around because it's an area of weakness. And Paul is addressing these issues and they're more serious than what we're talking about here, because these issues are ones that the church is absolutely convinced one section of the church convinced that these are so important that you could lose your faith, your salvation. If you move away from them, that's how important they are to them. This is not a trivial thing, not even close to trivial. This is on the scale of extreme importance and One side is saying, if you eat meat, you are in danger of being judged by God. That's how serious it was. And the other side is saying, we don't see it that way. I understand you see that, but we don't. And now there's a fight in an intense disagreement that exists within the church. And Paul comes in and Paul has a different view himself. He thinks it's okay to eat meat. So what do you think he would do? What do you think if it was today regarding issues like politics, like doctrine? What do you think he would say? Do you think he'd set the the record straight and tell the truth about where people are right and wrong? That's what I would do. But he doesn't. He doesn't because at this stage, this is not one of these issues that's very, very obviously clear to, ev- to most people. Like, for example, you, you know, back during the times of slavery in this country and in Europe, um, there was half of the church during the time of the debate whether slavery was right or wrong, there was half of the church believed it was a biblical ordinance or biblical mandate or a biblically at least allowed thing to have slaves. And if you haven't studied the literature, I've read the quotes from theologians about this and they were arguing from scripture in the same way, exactly the same way we argue for doctrines today. This is biblically here. It is absolutely clear that the scriptures are pro slavery. And for you to move away from this is a slippery slope down the hill of allowing all kinds of other sins into the church. It is disgusting for a, literally, this is what they said. It is disgusting for a black person to be married to a white person. They called on that emotion of disgust as one of the, the reasons for support. Isn't it clearly immoral? Isn't it clearly wrong? What have we done? This was the argument of half of the church. The other half was saying, no, it shouldn't be. Right. So during that time, it was one of these issues that threatened to divide the church that today is no longer an issue that we would say it is absolutely clearly wrong. And we need to set the record straight. If there's anybody who is Wondering about that. But during the time where there is a debate within the church, Paul says, I'm not going to, even though I am sure that it is okay to eat meat, I'm not going to do this because there's something more important than agreement on doctrines and on beliefs. And for Paul, it's that former picture that I showed you. It isn't about I win, it's about we win. The issue for Paul is, can you guys live in the same house? Can you do it? Because if you can't live in the same house, there's a serious problem that is far worse than whether you agree or disagree. That's the real issue. There's an image of the cross that we um, have held as Christians for, for centuries, for millennia now. And that is that the cross is that which stands between heaven and hell, between life and death, between beauty and ugliness, between freedom and slavery, between hate and love, between life and death. And that that image of the cross is that which brings both together. And so when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, that you were once identified as Gentiles, as Jews, as slave, and as free. You're all so different. You're all so diverse from each other. You're all so Apart, separated from each other. But this is what happened, is when you were baptized, you were not baptized into a doctrine or into a religion or into anything. You were baptized into one another, into the body of Jesus Christ. And the body in first Corinthians 11 and 12 is, he uses the metaphor of the physical body that this is how you're to look at each other is that I am part of you and you are part of me. The same blood that flows through you flows through me because it is the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I belong to you and you belong to me. And I cannot say to you that what matters is my belief over your belief. Even now, this isn't about like, we should all just not have beliefs and not have disagreement and we should all play nice. That's not what this is about. It's like, Oh no, don't play nice. Disagree. But understand there's a major thing that, that is far bigger and far more important than that issue. And that is that you learn how to do this within family that you do not opt out of family. You don't have that choice if you're in Christ. You don't have the choice to opt in and opt out when you want to. Well, no, we have all kinds of churches. Isn't it wonderful? If you don't like this, you go to another church. You go to another, you know, church. Well, that's part of the problem. Because then what kind of unity is there? What kind of baptism in Christ is that? Baptism into the body is that? Right? The whole point is that, do you know how to wrestle through it? That image of a team playing together. If you, have you, any here have played on sport, team sports? Anybody has done a sort of a team work where you had to accomplish a project together, like at work or somewhere else? If you've ever done anything over the course of time, you know what it is like when you have that initial kind of surge of like, ooh, we're going to do this. And then you start having disagreements, right? And you're, you're disagreeing on some real fundamental things. And the coach comes in and says, you guys have to work this out. I don't know what your problems are, but you have to work it out because we have an objective and we have to win. So work it out. Your options aren't leave the team and go somewhere else and go play for some other team that you agree with. You have to work it out here. And then you work it out and you fight through it and you cry and you yell and you, and then you start to finally figure it out and you rise to a higher level. And you say, you know what? I love you. We're together in this. And you go back to work. And then there's times where the team is together, but, the obstacle in front of it, the next team you played, you lost against, or, you know, the team project had some issue come in that you couldn't solve and you just like sweating it through as a team. And finally you complete the thing. You finally, you, 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 you have a great season. And even if you didn't, you, you fought through. And on the other side, you have a certain sense of joy, a certain sense of, we did it together, right? There's nothing like that taste of having gone there with a team of others where you know you did it as as a family. I love hearing the stories, and I got to hear some from my father-in-law before he passed, of his time in Vietnam. And the bond that these guys developed together. And I would see him interact with this other Marine that was a, a good friend of his. And the bond they had was so profound and so deep, so Beautiful. You would see him shift and change as he was with them. With other people, he has sort of a guard and a a stiffness about him. But when he got around these guys, he would relax and he would interact and laugh and he'd allow them to tease him and he would tease back. There was no defense there. Because one of the things that you'd hear from these guys who had fought... in in some really difficult battles was that they had to learn how to work as a team and they had to learn to depend on each other and they faced hell together, but they got to also taste of a little heaven and that was what they had together as a team. And unfortunately, what threatens the church today is that we don't have that same level of commitment. We just don't. It's so consumeristic. It's like, well, I like it, but then I don't like it, so I'm out. You know, it's, so there's no, there's nothing that changes you because you didn't fight through it. And so we chase happy, we chase stability, which promises us happiness. And then we go from one thing to the next, but we only have about an inch deep of joy, not the real deep stuff that comes from having gone through hell and then tasted a little heaven together. But as followers of Jesus, we were baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says the kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking, I know that's what you guys feel threatened about, like you're about to break up and lose this whole thing because this feels so important to you. But the kingdom of heaven is not about Republicans or Democrats, folks. The kingdom of heaven is not about the impeachment hearings. The, the kingdom of heaven it's not about your doctrinal differences and your views on particular social issues. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is about. It is about these three things, Paul says. Righteousness. You know what righteousness means? Righteousness means how you treat other people and how they feel treated by you. That's the biblical definition. If you look through the way righteousness is used from the beginning all the way to the end through the scriptures, that's the way it's used. It's right living by other people. Righteousness isn't like, well, I, w- I did all the things that I was supposed to do, and so I'm going to get exonerated and blessed by God. It's much more like God's like the coach that says, I don't know what issues are going here and you're claiming you're right and you're claiming you're right. I don't know what the issues are but here's the deal. Figure it out. Or the next time I come in, they'll be held to pay. That's more like what God does. Figure it out between you because you're all my children. There's not one that's my child and another that's not. You're all my kids. So figure it out. Stop fighting in the back seat. Figure it out. Right? Right? <laughs> And that's the way it, is, it works, is that you have to figure it out together as a team. So righteousness. Then the next one is peace, which is intentional. And I believe peace is an intentional thing. You, you don't, peace isn't the absence of something. It's not the absence of conflict. Peace is creating peace because we don't naturally start out that way. Internally, And as I said last week, you can't give what you don't have. You can't create peace unless there's peace within you. You go about creating peace between people. That's what is in mind here for Paul in context, righteousness, peace. And then he finishes off with joy in the Holy Spirit. You know why he says Holy Spirit? Some people used to, I remember in the charismatic Pentecostal upbringing that I had, it was like, oh, peace the, oh, joy in the Holy Spirit means we're just like bouncing off the walls in church and there's like great music going on. And we're just like, you know, that was the image I had because I grew up that way. And that's the way it was kind of communicated. But he's specific. He's very, he's very specific about the language he uses. Joy in the Holy Spirit Because the the idea of the Holy Spirit is that which unifies us. I mean, the Spirit is is that which unifies the church. That's the way it's used in, in the New Testament. It brings us together. So joy when the Holy Spirit has brought us together. And we experience spirit when we're doing that. And there's joy in the Holy Spirit. And I love how he finishes because anyone who serves in Christ in this way, is pleasing to God and receives human approval. It's not just like, oh, I'm approved by God because I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, but are you approved by other people? It doesn't matter. It's the truth. I speak the truth. If they don't like it, oh, well, they don't like the truth. But I'm speaking the truth, and that's what the loving thing to do is. Yeah, but nobody likes you. (laughs) Well, it doesn't matter because I'm doing the right thing okay, but nobody approves of you and nobody buys into what you're saying. So what effect are you really having? And for Paul, it's like, no, human approval matters. Isn't that interesting? Human approval matters. Otherwise you wouldn't have put it in here as an important factor. It's both pleasing to God and surprise, surprise. Well, what isn't it? It isn't a surprise because if you've had kids, or if you grew up in a family and you were, had a sibling, or you've heard about this, you, you you can kind of relate, you know what it's like. What makes mom and dad happy? That I was the right, that I did the right thing. Well, yeah, sure. But what makes them happy is when all five of us who grew up, all five kids actually got along, which never happened, but actually got along. (laughs) Then it was like, Oh, then it pleases God. It pleases mom and dad. And it pleases my siblings because we're getting along. Now here's why. Let me just finish with this. Here's why this is so important. You will never figure out truth entirely. And you will never figure out how to please or serve or live righteously entirely unless it's lived horizontally. You can't have this without this. It's just not going to work. How do you know what truth is? How do you know what right and wrong is? Well, I just know, but how do you know? You know, because you have interacted with other people and you've worked through and you've worked hard because your number one commitment is I'm baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. That means I belong to you and you belong to me. There is no longer just me, there's us. There's the we that make sense? Jim here. All right, all rise for the benediction.
0: Good morning, everyone.
1: Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah. This week, as you go out into the holiday chaos, may you remind yourself that the joy of the Lord is our strength. May the beauty of Jesus be reflected in your eyes. May the love of Jesus be reflected in your hands. May the wisdom of Jesus be reflected in your words and the knowledge of Jesus flow from your heart. Remind yourself that your face may be the only face of the reflection of Jesus that someone may see this week. May you reflect him and bless others wherever you go. Amen.